Welcome to Beyond the Byline. I'm your host, Evan Margiotta. Before we get to this week's stories, I wanted to make a quick announcement. The Beyond the Byline team is hiring for the fall 2019 semester. If you have audio editing or sound engineering skills, we would love to have you come aboard. Staff applications for the fall semester will go out when we return to campus in August or September. But in the meantime, you can shoot me an email at emargiota at theeagleonline.com. That's emargiota at theeagleonline.com with any questions you may have. But now, the Eagles' latest print edition was released last week. And for the final episode of the semester, I sat down with some of the writers of the major stories in that edition. First, Kelly McDonald and Dan Papscom joined me to talk about the upcoming changes to AU's dining program. Then, Kimberly Cotadella is with me to discuss the potential of alcohol at AU sports games. Finally, stick around for my conversation with Kelsey Carlin on the growing pains of AUX. In the past year, AU dining has been in the news a lot. Dissatisfaction with food quality and the potential of increasing meal plan rates culminated in the announcement that AU has begun searching for a new dining provider. Staff writer Kelly McDonald and SG Beat reporter Dan Papscom have been following the dining story all year and came on the podcast to talk about what lies ahead for AU Dining. So for someone who hasn't been following the story super closely, what is happening with AU Dining? A lot is happening with AU Dining. It was confirmed that AU will be finding a new dining vendor by next fall. And what's going to change is really dependent upon who AU picks as the next vendor, who's bidding. We kind of narrowed it down for our story to look at Aramark, who's AU's current vendor, and Sodexo and Bon Appetit, which are other large corporations that are the main dining providers at a lot of other institutions and schools um, across the country. So how did we get to this place? What are some of the problems that students have had with the current dining program under Airmark? Sure. Um, so Kelly and I have both reported on this kind of from different sides of the issue. Uh, I started off by doing a story about Anthony Randolph, who is a worker that was fired at the beginning of the fall semester, exploring what happened to him and how that went wrong and the student reaction. And then in the spring, we had the protests in front of the library and on the quad about meal plan increases for sophomores and how that like the backlash following that. Uh, and then Kelly kind of looked at it from another side. Yeah. So AU's current dining vendor is Aramark, and we have been using their food service since 2013. But Aramark has been on campus for much longer doing custodial services for AU. I started looking at AU's dining in late October, uh, when Megabytes had their rat problem, that kind of sparked a really big question of if the food that we're eating on campus is sanitary and what the school is doing to make sure that the food students get is healthy. So it's obvious that students have become displeased with the dining program. When did the university get involved? About mid-March, it came out that AU was going to be sending out this request for a proposal to find a new dining vendor. RHA, the Residence Hall Association, hosted a town hall meeting and just opened up the forum to ask students what they are looking for in a new vendor. And at the town hall, a bunch of students really were just asking for the basics of more options, vegetarian, vegan, kosher, halal, 
or late night hours during, especially during finals. Um, yeah, so kind of in the aftermath of the town hall that RHA hosted, both RHA and student government sent out surveys to students, kind of asking uh, what people cared about in a new vendor, what their like primary priorities were. And they were both kind of run by two of the student representatives on the committee that's figuring out the new provider. And so some of those responses were really interesting. Like one of the biggest priorities was 24-hour or at least really late night dining. There was also a lot of support for workers uh, because there are concerns about like what will happen to workers if we get a new provider. And so it was really interesting to see that students care about those things so much. So on the topic of workers, do we have any indication of what will happen to the current workers as we transition to a new food provider? Definitely. Um, we do have some like history that we can talk about there. There are kind of two things to look at. One, when we transitioned to Aramark in 2013, as far as we can tell, almost all workers were kind of kept on, um, although some of them lost their pensions, which is concerning. And then just recently, a few months ago, Washington College of Law transitioned from Aramark to Sodexo, and virtually every worker stayed on. I think I believe two of them were released, but that was because they found employment at like other unaffiliated locations. And then a few of the others that weren't either kept on at WCL or transferred to main campus went to other Sodexo locations around DC. Based on that, we can extrapolate what will happen at AU, but we obviously can't be sure. And one of the things that should be stressed is that it's not up to AU what happens to the workers. It's completely up to whatever dining vendor AU chooses. So even though AU doesn't have direct control over something like the workers or even the actual food that we're being served, how are they trying to drive change during this process of transitioning food providers? AU is really trying to drive change by centering the student voice in the request for a proposal, which is AU sending out to vendors the expectations that it has that vendors should fulfill if they sign on to this contract to provide dining services at AU. So how did AU come up with their request for proposal? Yeah, so I've been looking into this a lot in the last few weeks, last month. And basically the way it has worked is AU created a, a dining advisory committee or dining advisory board that is made up of approximately 20 students, faculty, staff, like professors, kind of representatives of all aspects of the university. And their job is kind of very broadly to figure out and then transition a new dining provider to AU. Within that, there's a smaller, much smaller committee, about a dozen people, that includes three student representatives, one from RHA, one from SG, and then one from the International Students Association. And their job is to literally craft this RFP that Kelly explained um, that will be sent out to kind of put out into the world so that providers can respond to it. And that RFP is requirements that AU has that these dining providers have to meet if they want this contract. So they bid on the contract, they talk about like their specific goals, uh, they say how much it'll cost. And so those requirements right now, as we saw in an email that Chuck Smith, the auxiliary services director, sent out at the beginning of this week, that's things like higher quality food, um, kind of more late night options, um, better, better like diverse food options. And that includes things like kosher and halal, more vegetarian, vegan, low fat, dairy free, kind of all of those things that we're lacking a little bit right now that we may have, but aren't very high quality or we don't have much of. So those seem to be the primary priorities. And we know based on interviews we've done that a lot of that came from student feedback. So when a new vendor eventually does come on campus, what are the changes that students are going to be seeing? 
Yeah, so if all goes to plan, this will be fall of next year, fall of 2019. Some of the things that we can, I think, definitely see are a lot of the little details will be solved. So according to like the people we've talked to on the RFP committee, things like no silverware and TDR, hot food, like running out of beverages in the like soda dispensers, like that kind of thing will go away, hopefully. We can also expect to see a lot of the individual locations on campus, places like Pod, Starbucks, Einstein's, some of those may or may not change because they have contracts with Aramark that allow them to be at the university. And with Aramark gone, they may or may not have same or similar contracts with the new provider. And if students want other locations, we may get those. So I know there was talk of a lot of options being available. Like someone in one of the committees floated the idea of like a Chipotle just as an example. And that is something that could theoretically happen. It obviously isn't guaranteed, but it's like many options are being discussed. One thing that is unclear that kind of goes along with what students had said in the RHA and SG surveys is students on campus like the small businesses that we have. So that would have been megabytes, but they also like Asian flavors, Mudbox, and American Cafe. But with a new provider, all of that could fall under a different contract. It's not certain whether or not AU could end contracts with small business providers on campus or where that will go with a new dining provider. When students voted in the SG elections this spring, they weren't just voting for candidates. Also on the ballot was the proposal to open discussion about selling alcohol at on-campus sporting events, and it passed with a clear majority. Kimberly Cotadella, the Eagles' managing editor for sports, got in contact with the university and the athletic department to see what happens next and what potential alcohol sales may bring to AU sports. So how did we get to a point where AU might be selling alcohol at its sporting events? So the actual concrete way that we were able to start this conversation actually started with Student Government Vice President Lila Najafi. So she brought up this concept to the Board of Trustees and said to them, I think that selling alcohol at sports games will increase fan attendance and general alumni engagement, which is a very big theme that's brought up in the strategic five-year plan. So uh, the Board of Trustees said to her, you have our blessing, essentially, to go out and talk to the students about this as a concept and see if people would be on board. So then what happened was when all of the students voted in the student government elections, this was put on the ballot. And the final results were that 81% of students that voted in the student government election said that they would be absolutely open to having a conversation about alcohol sales at athletic events. So we are now in a spot where the Eagle did a nice big story about what this would actually look like, the right people that we would need to talk to to make it happen, and just the general connection between the athletic department and the university. So the jump could be made. So even though the referendum passed with a majority of students, it doesn't actually mean that this is happening immediately. What are the next steps that the university is going through to decide whether this actually gets implemented? So we spoke to uh, Andrew Smith, who is the associate athletic director, who knows, obviously, lots of what's going on within the athletic department and speaks to media quite often. He said the university and the athletic department are hoping to have lots more productive conversations that actually lead to concrete steps in the summer. So over the summer, coming into the 
fall, hopefully they should have a better idea of what they want to do about this. So Andrew made it very clear that the university has to be the one to give the permission. And he said that the athletic department being able to sell alcohol would actually boost their boost money, like give them give them a good amount of money. So he was like, this actually be pretty good, pretty good for us. Besides the university and the athletic department, what other organizations need to be a part of a conversation about serving alcohol on campus? The number one organization that needs to be involved in this conversation is HPAC. That's the Health Promotion and Advocacy Center at AU. And there's actually a a really, really funny story about this. So the Eagle obviously had to reach out to them because they have within their office lots of alcohol on campus experts. We reached out to them to talk about what this would look like what they have to say about it, because obviously we wanted to give them the chance to talk to us about it. We wanted to hear what they had to say. And so we reached out and said, hey, we're the Eagle. We want to talk to you guys about this referendum that's being passed, that's in the process of being passed, that talks about alcohol potentially being sold at athletic events. And they responded and they were like, hi, what? What? What's going on? What's the referendum? We actually didn't know about this. So we'll be able to give you a nice answer when we actually read the thing because we've never read it before. So HPAC didn't know that this was even being proposed to the student body? Yeah, HPAC had no idea before the Eagle reached out for an interview. So AU obviously isn't the first university to have the idea of selling alcohol at its sporting events. Are there other universities like us that are implementing it? And what does it look like at those schools that are? Mm -hmm. We decided to look at men's basketball fan attendance and men's basketball alcohol initiatives at other schools because at American University, it's no secret that men's basketball is the most attended sport. So we looked at a lot of schools in the DMV. We looked at three specifically. We had the University of Maryland, Georgetown University, and George Washington. Uh, Georgetown University is a unique exception because their men's basketball team actually plays at Capital One Arena in Gallery Place. So Capital One Arena sells alcohol independently to fans of age. University of Maryland does something very similar where they sell alcohol to their fans and they have a lot of rules in place like you can't sell after the third quarter. You can only have one drink per person per transaction. So very detailed rules that AU would probably follow as well uh, because it seems to be the standard. And then George Washington University was something that we took a lot of interest in because George Washington University started alcohol-based initiatives last year to try to boost fan attendance as well. So one example of this is they do something called a Wine Down Friday. What is what is Wine Down Friday? Wine like, Down I, I Friday. Yes, Wine Down Friday. So let's say that there is a home volleyball game that evening. So, and it's on a Friday. If the game starts at seven, they'll have the wind down Friday begin at 5.30 or six. You buy your ticket ahead of time to reserve your spot. And then you show up to this place called the hospitality room within uh, their arena. And they don't allow alcohol to leave that room. But while you're there, you can do like wine tastings and wine and cheese pairings and stuff like that. So it's this fun and also very bougie way to get students involved and uh, have them also come to games. Wine Down Fridays and similar things of that nature were introduced in the 2017-2018 season, which was only last year. So what we wanted to do is we wanted to look at the three years leading up to the introduction of Wine Down Fridays. And then, of course, the year following as well, which brings us to 2019, where we are now. But the very 
strange things that we found is that their fan attendance only decreased, which was very interesting. So for the three years leading up to the introduction of Wind Down Fridays, the attendance was decreasing, decreasing, decreasing. And then they introduced Wind Down Fridays. So 2018, 2019, decreasing still. So even though we don't know if fan attendance at games will go up, are there any other benefits that the student body could experience by going to a sports game to drink instead of drinking somewhere else? So we looked into um, Ohio State University, for example, when they started selling alcohol at their games, they saw this huge decrease in alcohol related incidents when the students were able to drink beer in moderation instead of going to a dorm room and drinking as much hard liquor as they could get their hands on. And we had a editorial board meeting when we were discussing all of our print stories and the stuff the Eagle decided to choose this story to editorialize and the entire staff came to this general consensus that drinking at sports games on a Friday night for example instead of going to someone's dorm room and drinking there would be a lot safer and would be a lot more beneficial for the student's health and for the student body community as well so the Eagles ed board saw that this would actually be really beneficial to the student body. Finally, over the past two semesters, all freshman students have been enrolled in the AUX 1 and 2 classes, a central pillar of the university's new AU core curriculum. Meant to help first-year students transition to college while discussing topics such as structural inequality, race, and freedom of expression, the AUX program has become the target of student criticism. Kelsey Carlin has spent the last several months talking with students and the administration about the growing pains of the program and how the class will change moving forward. So walk me through the history of AUX. Well, the pilot was approved in March 2016 as a part of the RISE initiative, which is reinventing the student experience. So then there were two pilot courses in which students could hop, opt into the course. And those two pilots took a course over a period of two years. So then this past fall, fall 2018, was the first um, year, the full rollout, the first year all freshmen were required to take it. So those two pilot years happen, and now we are in the first year of the AUX rollout where it is mandatory for every freshman to take. What has been the response from the freshman body? There have been a mixed reaction. Some students like it, some students don't. Um, some students feel as though it should not be mandatory. During the period of AUX1, uh, the fall semester, there was a petition. It called for the class to be canceled in a way um, or that there be major changes made to the course. And it got over 200 signatures online. And even though it definitely went against of what AU wants, um, administrators appreciated the feedback that students voiced. Some instructors even said that the course teaches students to speak up about their own education. So they appreciated that students did that. It didn't obviously cancel the course, but they definitely are going to change things because of that. So how is the university going about responding to that feedback and making changes to the program? They've definitely already started changing their curriculum for AUX1 because they already received a lot of feedback. Um, one of the biggest points that people made about AUX1 was that it repeated a lot of what students learned during Eagle Summit, such as campus resources and drugs and alcohol, because freshmen are required to take a drugs, drug and alcohol online course in the summer. And we also learn a lot about 
campus resources during Eagle Summit. So because of that feedback that students gave and because of the petition, um, administrators say that they will make sure to make those changes and they are. They're not going to, it's not going to be so much repetitive anymore. And what about AUX2? I know this is going on right now for students, but what have been some of the responses to it? AUX2 is a lot of students say is definitely more um, controversial, difficult topics to discuss in specifically in a group of people and a larger group of people and it definitely requires more lived experiences and some students didn't like that they were the educators they felt as though they they weren't supposed to be the ones who were supposed to teach people about their own identity another thing is definitely the grading they're going to look at how the course is graded what they can do to maybe make it less graded in terms of the comfort level people sharing their own experiences they're going to receive a lot of feedback and they encourage um, students to give them a lot of feedback because they say it's important for them to hear the feedback and hear what students have to say so they definitely encourage students to come talk to them like dean waters um izzy stern they want students to come to talk to them and go to the forums Thank y'all for listening. And thanks to Kelly, Dan, Kimberly, and Kelsey for coming on the podcast this week. And finally, thanks for an amazing first year of Beyond the Byline. We will return in the fall with continued coverage of campus news. Until then, have a great summer.